Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're exploring the book of 1 John and learning how to walk in light, walk in love. Now let's join Kurt for today's episode. And welcome back, friends, to today's episode of Everyday Truths. Appreciate you joining us, as always, for uh, just another excursion into God's Word. Uh, we're in the theologically rich uh, book of First John, and we've said a lot about it already. Uh, today, we're in verse number 12. So if you uh, can follow along, that'd be great. First uh, John chapter 2 uh, and verse number 12. L- let, let me read this section because it... it, it at first, sounds a bit redundant, but I think you'll see uh, the importance of it here in a moment. First uh, John chapter two and verse twelve, where John writes, I, "I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known Him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye are you have overcome the wicked one." I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Uh, We were talking a bit before the podcast, Josh and I were, just about this section and just the heart that John has for his readership. So remember, John is, you know, he's seven decades into his relationship with the Lord. He's the last surviving apostle, and he just has a heart for people to love God and to love each other. That's really the, the theme of the book, to love God, love each other, to walk in light, make sure we're, we're walking with the Lord, and then to walk in love, making sure we're walking in love with each other, fellowship with God, fellowship with people. And here in uh, chapter 2 and verse 12, he, he identifies some different categories. So Josh, let me start, and then we'll just jump over to you. Sure. Um, so I, I write unto you little children— because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And I love that kind of as the opening because John was an old man. So in a sense, he kind of viewed everyone as his his protégés, as the people right. that he was mentoring. So t- talking to them as little children. Now, th- there are two views. The, the one view is that little children would be just everybody. Mm-hmm. Paul, uh, Paul, John, John, <laughs> one of those guys. Uh, John referred to uh, all of the people whom he loved as kind of his children right. in the faith. Uh, but then there is a sense in which uh, people that have newly been saved are newly children, are are little children rather, uh, newly saved. But either way, what he says is, "I'm writing because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake." And what a great reminder that he's writing to believers and believers who have been forgiven of their sins. Yeah, I think, you know, as, you, as you've as you read this this passage here, we, we see him cover really the entire swath of believers. So as you've said, you know, he's speaking to, to everybody here, um, whether it's people that are young and, young in their faith or whether it's to all of the people that he's had the opportunity and is continuing to have the opportunity to minister to. But one of the things that stands out to me there in verse 12 is that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I love that. Um, you, you know, so it's not about it's not about each individual believer. It's really about God getting the glory. It's it's about what God has done for them. And of course, he's done it for them. And so uh, John, I think, is really pointing out to his readers 
and by proxy us today who are reading it and talking about it, that God is the one that gets the glory for our salvation. Sometimes we kind of throw out that term, in Jesus' name. So we pray, in Jesus' Mm -hmm. name. And what we mean by that is, by the authority of all that the name of Jesus represents. Mm -hmm. So I think about that passage in Ephesians 4, where the Apostle Paul See, I, I knew I was going to talk about it Paul. Right that right? Time, yeah. So it wasn't the, John in, in, in Ephesians. <laughs> so, so where the Apostle Paul said, "Be a be a kind, tenderhearted," and then think about this: forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven yeah, you. Yeah. So for His name, for Christ's sake, yeah. hath forgiven you. So what's the the practical principle? The practical principle is you and I have been forgiven for for Jesus' sake because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus did, all of what he represents. That's why we have forgiven, not because I deserve it, not because I've earned it, but because I've been forgiven for his name's sake. Well, the practical then, I think the practical application would be that I need to forgive for Jesus' sake. You say, well, I could never forgive him. I I could never forgive her. You don't know what they did to me. But I don't forgive because they deserve it any more than I was forgiven because I deserve it. I forgive because of Jesus. So I am forgiven because of Jesus, and I can forgive because of Jesus. Yeah, and to that point, let's remember this follows on the heels of verse 11, which talks about the uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ and and your relationship uh, with each of them and then I think we see here as you know we read through verses twelve through fourteen this repetition and you mm. pointed that out at the beginning that it seems repetitive but the point is emphasis you know I almost did it too I said Paul uh, John is is but Paul would have said it <laughs> Paul would have said the exact same thing he would have said the same thing yes but John is 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 making emphasis on what he's stating here, uh, that, that people have been forgiven for Christ's name's sake. Um, and, and the other things that he says to the, to the fathers and the rest that we'll talk about. Well, let's, let's jump into that then. So verse 13, <laughs> I write unto you, let me just check my time here to make sure that we're okay. Uh, so I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. So to the, to the little children, and let's just assume here he's speaking to those that have newly come to Christ, sure. uh, babes in Christ. Uh, the, the, most important, the, the most important foundational truth from which we should operate as believers is the foundational truth that we have been forgiven, uh, that we have a freedom, we have a relationship with God by virtue of the person of Jesus, and that security of relationship that unconditionality of the love of God ought to be the water in which we swim. Yeah. It ought to be the foundation of, on, on which we are built. It, the Christian life begins with that whole idea of acceptance. And I know that we, we've heard it said this way before, but it's so good. And that is, as believers, we don't work for acceptance. Right, right. We are acceptance. Yes. We work from acceptance. Yeah. And I think that's the, the key that John is bringing out here, that these, hey, the most foundational thing you can learn as a new believer is you are loved, you are forgiven, 
you now have a clean slate from which to, to serve God. Yeah, and I think that's emphasized all throughout his his letter here um, because we so often do what you just said. We work for acceptance, and we feel like we have to perform in order for Christ to accept us. But we've already been accepted in the Beloved. We, we, we are accepted as much as we ever will be accepted the mm-hmm. day that we accepted Him as our personal Savior. And so no matter the—should we do good works? Absolutely. We see that in the book of, in the book of James. But it's not the good works that makes us accepted. We, we work from our point of acceptance, yeah. as you've said. And, and yeah. hold that thought, too, even about the good works, because in a few episodes, we're mm-hmm. going to get there. Yes. We're going to yeah. get to the evidence of, of understanding that I'm forgiven and truly having that bona fide relationship right. with the Lord will be works. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. It's, that's not inconsistent with uh, the gospel of grace. Yeah. Look, look at verse number 13. So I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. So in verse 12, it's, hey, you know you've been forgiven. Now, fathers... You've known him that is from the beginning. So he's speaking to people now that have a long-standing mm-hmm. relationship, fathers, a long-standing relationship with God. And I think the point is that as new believers, we are captivated by, man, I've been forgiven. Well, I'm saved. That ought to compel me and propel me to serve God in a way that that I never could have served him before. But then fathers... You've known him that's from the beginning. So th- this the same compulsion that one ought to feel the nanosecond after he's saved to serve God because he's accepted is the same compulsion that older, mature believers, we know him that's from the beginning. We have this abiding, deep, mature relationship with God. Yeah, yeah. And that word that you use there, abiding, is going to come up so many times in the verses that follow here. But yeah, the, the knowledge here is not just a, a head knowledge, what I know about Jesus or I know about God. It's an experiential knowledge. It's that this has been my life. And as he calls them fathers, as you pointed out, because they're mature, they've got some deep roots in their in their faith and therefore he can say you've known him that's from the beginning so i think applicationally for us the question then has to be asked you know for those of us that have been saved for some length of time have we moved from that um, point where you, we were excited because we've been forgiven and maybe lost some of that excitement, lost some of that fervor. Um, and I, I think that's, for me, that's the challenge that I get from specifically that statement in verse 13. And, and who needs these foundational truths? Because so much of what we're going to learn in, in, throughout this chapter is that these are foundational truths. Jesus is the Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the Son of God. Who needs this truth? Well, everybody. The unsaved person right. needs to understand that. The new believer needs to be uh, be formulated within that truth. But all of us need yeah. that truth. Yeah. You know, tell me the old, old story. Yeah. And I love the point that Josh just brought out, and that is to know God, epignosis. It's a full and complete experiential knowledge of God. So it's one thing to say, I know about God. and And, and I think there was kind of a maybe an era within, can I say, the fundamental movement where the emphasis was on what you know, yeah. you know, facts and figures and memorizing the bold print. But 
it's much more than information. Mm-hmm. It's it's knowing God. Yeah. It, this is a fellowship. Remember that the the key here to our entire book is fellowship with God and man, walking in light and walking in love. So he's writing to little children. He's writing to the fathers. And then the Bible says in verse 13, and um, I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. So to, to overcome the wicked one, I think carries with it two thoughts. Number one, there is the overcoming of the wicked one the, the the desire of the wicked one, mm-hmm. Satan, mm-hmm. is that our souls would be damned. Sure, his desire is that we would never come to a saving knowledge of Christ. And how do we overcome the wicked one? The Bible tells us, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son, son yeah. of God. So faith is the victory that overcometh mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've overcome the wicked one in a positional sense when we've trusted Christ as Savior. But we overcome in a practical, continual sense the wicked one as we abide in Christ. And that's where this conversation is going in 1 John chapter 2. So he's speaking to these young men. A young man would be indicative of strength and vitality and power. So this ought to be your testimony. This ought to be my testimony that as a... A young man full of vim and vigor. Uh, I have the the Holy Spirit. I have spiritual power and energy to serve him. And John is saying, I'm writing to some of you that are living that mature Christian life. Yeah, I think if, if you were to interpret this passage, as you pointed out, there's kind of two different views or ways to, to interpret what he's saying here. Is he talking to everybody in general, or is he talking to specific groups, little children, fathers, young men? Either way, the the, the point is, is that all of us in our Christian life should go through these stages. There, there, There's a point in time in our life where we come to the place where we accept Christ as our Savior. We are little children. We're immature in our faith, but we're excited because we've been forgiven and, and our lives have been changed. There's a point where we are, as you've pointed out, full of that uh, that vim and vigor and, and that strength, and we are daily fighting against the wicked one, and that never stops. There's never a point in time in our in our Christian experience where that stops. If it does, then we're in danger. Right. Um, but all throughout that sanctification process, that that time as we're growing, we're becoming more like fathers. We're developing those deep roots uh, in in the faith. And, and think about just the implication of the word father. So as we become fathers, or you know, for you for you ladies, you know, mothers, sure. this is not this is not a gender specific conversation. Yeah. Think about the the implication of the word is that a father is one that's investing in others. Yes. Yeah. So and and that is the point. As we grow in grace, we start as children. But what did Paul say in Ephesians four? That you be no more children. Yeah. That you may grow up unto him in all right, things. Right. So I, I speak unto you as in, as in, as unto children, but I want to speak unto you as full grown. Yes. The writer of Hebrews said. So. Yes, there is that progression, and every part of that progression is necessary. We all begin as newborn babes that desire the sincere milk of the Word, but we shouldn't stay there. We should grow up, not remaining in that baby state, but growing up so that we get to the place as fathers 
that we have uh, we have a lot of mileage yeah. in our rearview yeah. mirror. And we have the ability to invest in other people. Look at what it says here in verse <clears throat> number, the end of verse 13. So I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. Uh, I, I, I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So really, as he reiterates the relationship that young, uh, that little children have with God, as he re- reiterates the relationship that fathers have ha- have had, he comes back to young men and gives a little bit more detail about what it means to overcome in a practical way in this process of sanctification that we all find ourselves in. And the two the two additional components here, Josh, and I want you to expand upon them in verse 14. So you're, you're strong. Mm-hmm. The word of God abideth in you. You have overcome the wicked one. So he told us already that young men have overcome the wicked one. But now he says, because they are strong yeah. and the word of God abides in them. Yeah. So how, how did they overcome the wicked one? Well, they overcome, overcome the wicked one because of their strength. Well, how did they get their strength? They got their strength from God's word. They got their strength from believing, obeying, studying, knowing the word of God. And how do we get our strength today? The same way. By understanding, reading, studying, knowing, applying maybe one one aspect that I left out there at the beginning that's probably the most important aspect, but applying the Word of God and, and being able to abide in God's Word. So there's the Word that we'll focus on in episodes to come that he uses there at the end of that. The, the Word of God abideth It lives in you. in you. Lives in you. It's an active thing. You know, it's funny, you know, throughout throughout the episode, we've, we've, we've interchanged John and Paul. Yeah, yeah. No, but Think about what Paul said to the Colossians. He said, let the word of Christ Mm -hmm. dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And I guess my question in closing today to you would be, is the word of God a living part of your life? Not not just information that invades your thinking, but as you read the word of God, do you see it in essence for what it is? It's the word of God. This is God's message to you. He is our capital F father and we are his little children. And these are his words, not just of advice, but these are essential words as essential as food is to the physical body. So is the word of God. And just as food becomes a part of our physical body so that we may live so the word of God is a part of our spiritual lives so that we may live, that we may abide, that we may be healthy. So as Josh said, we're going to come back to this. Uh, I want you to stay with us because next episode, we're going to jump into some very familiar verses about worldliness. But in the context of fellowship, I think they'll, they'll take on an even a deeper meaning for you. So thanks for joining us today. Hope you have a great day in the Lord. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If Everyday Truth matters to you, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.